Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's been so long since I preached on a Sunday morning. I, uh, I feel weird. <laughs> Second, 2 Samuel chapter 7. But I'm excited. I can't wait to preach. 2 Samuel chapter 7. going to read verses 1 to 22. Uh, put your finger there, though, and turn back to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. Just, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. Turn, turn. I want to hear pages turning. Matthew chapter 1. Turn them loud just so that I can hear pages turn. Yeah. Matthew 1. Just want you to look at something with me as we prepare for the celebration of, of the Lord's coming Christmas. Matthew chapter 1. Just look at it. What do you see? Yeah, just names. We would call this portion of Scripture what? A genealogy. It's a family tree. This uh, Matthew chapter 1 is basically a genealogy. It tells you uh, the family lineage. But it, it's not just any genealogy. Look at verse 16. Whose genealogy, whose family tree is this? It's Jesus's. This is the, Jesus the Messiah. This is his earthly family tree. We know that Jesus was born of a virgin. We know that he was God's son. But also there is an earthly lineage that you can connect him to. And Matthew chapter 1 includes that. It's actually very, very, very important. This is Jesus's family tree. It's in Scripture, and it's in Scripture for several very, very important reasons. But one of the things you notice when you look at Jesus' family tree, especially if you read very closely, is that not everybody in this list would you or, or, or I be proud to be related to. You know, you know what I'm saying? Not everybody, if this were my family tree, I would probably find a way to, to leave some names out. At least if it's, if it's in the Bible, there are some really, really shady characters in, in, in this tree. Uh, I mean, you just start reading through. You've got verse 3 where Matthew goes out of his way to include the woman Tamar. I don't know why he would go out of his way. He didn't even have to use her name, but it's like he just did it. And, and do you know the story of Tamar? We can't even read that in church. I mean, this is not a, a woman you would be necessarily proud of. And then, and then right down a few verses later, they go out of their way to use the woman Rahab. Y'all know anything about Rahab? She was a, a working woman. I mean, you know, and, and it goes out of its way to include her. Down in verse 6, we got Bathsheba. Y'all know Bathsheba? When she makes her entrance in Scripture, what was she wearing? Yeah, yeah. Why? It's sort of an amazing thing. I mean, God, God is the one who chose the way that Jesus would come to earth. It's God who guided this family tree. You would think that if God were going to choose the family that the Messiah, that Jesus is going to come from, that he would choose some other family, a perfect family, a family tree where every single name is like an honor student at Richmond Elementary. You know what I'm saying? A family where everybody is exemplary. Why didn't God look down and choose a perfect family with no blemishes, no redneck cousins, nobody necessarily that you'd have to stop and explain when the children leave the room. Why didn't God choose a perfect family? Because there are none. There are none. You understand that? If you don't believe me, just look down your pew. 
<laughs> there are none. There are none. So why did God choose this family tree, this family line, uh, out of which to bring Jesus? Because he made a promise to David. He made a promise to David. This is King David's family tree, such as it is. And God made a promise to David. Turn back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is good stuff. I, I, I pray that you'll listen this morning. I pray that you'll learn something about how God works. I pray that you'll learn something about your family today and something about yourself. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 1. Why don't we all stand today out of reverence for God's word, everyone. 2 Samuel chapter 7. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace. Cedar was wealth. Cedar was amazing. Can you imagine an entire palace made of cedar? But the ark of God is out there in a tent. The the word he uses there is curtain. It's out there behind a curtain. I'm in a cedar palace. The ark of God is out there behind a curtain. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind for the Lord is with you. Okay, stop right there. That's Nathan's word, not God's word. You understand? Nathan may be a prophet, but he's not speaking God's word there. That's his word. Because that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel, I have never asked him, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? I love how God talks. Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I love this. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you Wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't depress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel... And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. Who is that? Which son are we talking about? Solomon. And I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. 
Then King David went in and, say the word, sat. Okay, stop right there. How often in Scripture does somebody sit and pray? Almost never. It's interesting. David went in and, and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a, a lasting and an eternal dynasty. Do you deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord? What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like. Sovereign Lord, because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant. How great you are, O Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. Take your seats. David says, who am I and what is my family? That's the same question you're going to be asking here in a couple of days. What is my family? Christmas is, is a time when often our hearts turn to the Lord and also our hearts turn to, to family. It's also a time when if we don't do it in any other time of year, we will often make sure that we take good family pictures. How many of you do that? Uh, I got some of your Christmas cards in the mail. Uh, Christmas is a time when, when you usually try to pick out a, a perfect picture of your family for your Christmas card. My family does this. We'll be out in the middle of the year, somewhere in July on the beach or something, and we'll take a picture in case you'll say, Maybe that'll be for our Christmas card. Yeah, yeah. we're always looking for the perfect picture. Uh, I like to uh, just walk you through a few family pictures. These are Christmas card photos. Uh, this is kind of this one in particular. This is what you want your family to look like, I guess. Uh, this is rather perfect. Gosh, yeah, this is Casey and me and Wade. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, wow. Yeah, that, that, that's a good one. That, that's a good one. But there are lots of ways to take a good one. Let's keep rolling. Yeah, this one. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Man, some families just work hard at it, and that is so awesome. Look at those kids. Keep going. Look at this one. Yeah, man, put your eyes out. I, I love this guy. He doesn't want to wear that tie. He doesn't want to wear that tie. But, wow, he matches his family. That's just cool. That boy doesn't want to wear that jumpsuit either. I can tell you that much. Uh, yeah, mama made that. Keep rolling. Let's look at the next one. Yeah. Aren't families awesome? This family is obviously into... Swimming? So yeah, the Christmas card photo has a Christmas tree with their swimming ribbons on it. Uh, that poor kid in his Speedo, he's going to regret that one. Uh, keep going. Yeah, awesome. Christmas sweaters? Yeah, wow, this is grandma's idea. It had to be grandma's idea. Look at that. Wow, families just try so hard. I love it. Keep going. Yeah, look at this. S sweaters are one thing, but you could do underwear. Which is what this family chose to do. That's just, I like that guy. I really like that guy. Keep going. That's so good. Yeah. But look at this. Yeah. Not everybody's idea of, of, of festivity is the same. This is a goth family with Santa Claus. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Look how unhappy they're trying to look. Yeah. I just love that. I just love that. God help them. Let's keep going. Yeah. Look at this cat family. Cat family. Any cat families in the house? Yeah, God bless you. There are cat families. There are also dog families. Yeah, don't laugh. This is going to be me and Casey when Wade goes to college. Y'all think I'm kidding. Yeah. This is where we're going, baby. This is going to be it. Yeah. Oh, aren't people awesome? Let's keep going. I just love it. Yeah, I think that's a penguin. I think that's a penguin. Yeah, uh, keep going. Yeah, and...
I, I couldn't live with that thing in the house. <laughs> Th that's a ventriloquist dummy. I would really be afraid it would kill me in my sleep. Uh, but, but, th but this is a family. Keep going. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. Look at this. Yeah. Yeah. I put this in for all you Logan County people. Look. <laughs> Now look at mama in the back. Not only is she wearing a piggly wiggly shirt, I love that. She's wearing a piggly wiggly shirt, but what else? This is mama with a, yeah, no, that's a pop, pop. Yeah, she's got a pipe, guns. Yeah, Merry Christmas, people. Yeah, welcome. I'm sorry, Logan County, I was kidding. Keep going. Yeah, look, I love this. This looks like my family growing up, grandma's house at Christmas, but I'm really worried about this guy's neck. Look. Obviously, they told him to try to get in the picture. Yeah, look at the food, though. Keep going. I love family. So good. Yeah. Sometimes there's a little bit of hostility in a family. Keep going. Yeah, a lot of hostility sometime in a family. Merry Christmas. Yeah, let's just keep going. Yeah, look closely. Yeah. Yeah. That's Jennifer Jones, baby, right there. In the, yeah, I got the golf club back there. Yeah, wow, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, keep going. Yeah, look at this. I love that, yeah. Sometimes if you're riding solo, you still got to be awesome. And if you can do the splits in your family picture, I suggest you do. If you can do that, I suggest you, you try that, yeah. Families, wow. Every family is just so different. So different. How many of you would say right now, my family's normal? Let's, let's see your hand. My family's normal. Raise your hand. Yeah. If there's a hand up somewhere near you, turn to that person and say, I have been to your house. No, you're not. Put, put your hand down. I, I don't even know what normal is. But at some point early on in most of our lives, we develop a kind of mental picture, a, a mental picture of what a family ought to be, what a family ought to look like. For some of us, that mental picture is just the picture of our family. But because whether we, whether we like it or not, whatever you grew up with seems normal. Even if it's dysfunctional, even if it's unhappy, it's still normal to you. And so sometimes people go through all of their lives with that mental picture of family simply based on the family they grew up in. And they assume that that somehow is, is normal. Others of us still have a different kind of, of picture. We sometimes carry this ideal picture of family in our heads. An ideal picture of, of perfection, an ideal picture of love and, and commitment, an ideal picture of kids that, that never rebel, we, an ideal picture of a house that somehow is always clean, of dogs that never poop in the neighbor's yard. We just have this ideal picture. And honestly, many of you sitting in this house in the overflow you have an ideal picture in your head of what, of what a family should be, and you're constantly measuring your family by the standard of this ideal picture. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is as long as you carry that ideal picture, that picture of perfection, as long as that is your standard, your picture of family in your mind, Understand, you're going to have a really difficult time accepting your family as they are. As long as the picture you carry is an ideal, unrealistic, impossibly perfect picture, do you understand, you're going to be very, very disillusioned and very disappointed because your family, no family, is ever going to achieve that picture of perfection. 
Honestly, it's one of the reasons I love the Bible. Read through the Bible and you will not find, you will not find a single perfect functional family. I would say almost every, I would say every family in Scripture doesn't match that ideal picture. They are all somehow deviants from the norm, that they're all somehow not measuring up. All the families in every page of Scripture, every time you run across a family, that they're somehow dysfunctional. That there's something wrong with them. There's something that makes them a little bit less than, than, the, than the ideal standard. The Bible just never really gives us that perfect family to measure everything by. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the Bible never gives us that perfect uh, Wally and Beaver and, and June and, and Ward Cleaver picture? Why is that? Because the Bible's telling a bigger story. Do you understand? We don't get a perfect picture of a family in Scripture. Instead, we get a, a bigger story. The Bible is telling a story much larger than your family, much larger than my family. And what God is doing in my family, in your family, what God is doing in the world is so much bigger than any of our individual families. The, the Bible is always trying to push you past that. Do you understand? The Bible's not trying to give you a perfect picture for your family. The Bible wants to give you a, a bigger story for your family. So when the story picks up, King David, the scripture says, is actually quite happy. He's quite content. He's reached a point in his life where it says he is settled in his palace. And the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies. In his leisure now, in all of his comfort, David looks around and he sees something. He sees that he is living in this amazing, amazing house, this, this palace. David has a, a house that would be the envy of, of most people on the planet in his day. He lives in a palace, but he realizes that the ark of God, the, the very presence of God, is somehow out in the backyard behind a curtain. It, it's in a tent. And there's something about this that troubles David. And David says to himself, I'm going to build God a house. I've got a house. Everybody I know has a house. I'll build God a house. He calls the prophet Nathan in and says, Nathan, I'm going to build God a house. Okay, stop right there. There's something very admirable about that. I can see me, I can see you, I can see a lot of us thinking the same way. If I'm in a house, why would I live in something better than what God has? I'm going to build God a house. But understand, it's very, very difficult, very difficult to really analyze the motives of, of any of us. And you really can't assume that all of David's motives are pure. I mean, it would be one thing to build God a house, but it would be very difficult for David not, uh, not also to be simply trying to build something great for himself. But remember that this temple that he has planned will be an incredible addition to David's kingdom. Remember that this wonderful temple that David could build would probably have David's name on the cornerstone. Don't forget that David's got some interest in this too. It's just very, very difficult for any of us to have completely pure motives. And I don't think his motives are completely pure here. I think there's a part of him that wants to do something awesome for God. I also think there's a part of David that just wants to be awesome. And there's a difference. Do you understand? 
But the difference is very difficult for most of us to sort through. It's hard for me to separate my awesomeness from God's awesomeness. But the separation has to be made. He shares his plans with the prophet Nathan. And the first time Nathan speaks, understand, Nathan gets it wrong. Nathan doesn't come with a word from God. Nathan gives his own word. And what's Nathan's word there? You do whatever you want to do. You just do whatever comes to your mind, David, and God's going to be with you. That's Nathan's word. That's not God's word. But honestly, if you could hire your own preacher, if you could have somebody to to, to be your very personal preacher, your personal prophet, that's exactly the sermon you'd want them to preach to you every single Sunday. That's what you'd want to hear. Am I correct? I mean, if you're going to have your own preacher, and David has his own preacher, and his name is Nathan, this is the sermon you'd be paying to hear. What's the sermon? What's the content? Only two points. What's the first point? You can do whatever you want to do. Second point, and God's going to bless you. That's not the message from the Lord. That's not the word of the Lord. God help me, may I never preach that sermon to you. That's not the word from the Lord. That's not your life. That's not going to be your arrangement with God. You understand? That's never going to be the deal. You are never going to get to the point where you just simply get to do in life what you like to do, and then God's just always going to come along behind you and bless you. That's not the plan. That's not the message. That is not the word from the Lord. Thank God that he intervenes with his word that very night, the scripture says. He comes to Nathan. He gives Nathan his word. And this is what God says. I've been doing just fine without you, David. I've been at this a long, long time. I haven't asked you to build me a house. I don't even watch the Home and Garden channel. I don't need a house. I don't want a house. David, there's just really not anything I need you for. Isn't that interesting? But he goes on, verse 8. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture, and I selected you to be the leader of the people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed your enemies, and now I will make your name as famous as anyone who's ever lived on earth. I will provide my people a homeland in Israel, and I will give you rest, and while I'm at it, I'll just make you a house. Do you understand the principle here? There's a a big story, a a big story that God is telling in this scripture. But but not just in the scripture. It's the big story that God is telling with your life and in the life of your family and truly in the life of this church and in the life of the whole world. That there's a bigger story here and you and I just have this tendency to miss it. That there is this big story, but it's not your story. You see, most of us, we sort of think in such a way where honestly, our life is a story like a movie, and we're the star of it. That's how we think. 
that somehow your life is a story or it's like a great book, it's an awesome book, or it's, it's like a video game and you're the hero. That's how we think. That somehow our life is a story and, and we are the hero of it. We're the star of it. We're at the center stage and God somehow is a character in our story. That, that, that's how we think. That somehow God is this, he's probably a major character, but he is a character in, in our story. And, and therefore we can do things for God and we can pray to God. And sometimes we'll stand up in church and we'll have a, a story to tell about what God has done in our lives. But it's always our life. It's always our story. And God's playing a part in our story. Do you understand what God is saying to David here? David, it, it, it's not your story. I'm not a character in the story of David. David is a character in the story of God. Do you understand? God is not going to be a character in your story, but he invites you to be a character in his story. It's a bigger story. You're never going to be at the center of the stage. You're never going to be the hero of this thing. It's never going to be about you. You're never going to be a big deal. God is going to be a big deal. This is the story that's unfolding in, in the world. You and I, we're not the big deal. I know you want to be a big deal. I've been to your Facebook page. I know how desperately some of us want to be a big deal. You're not the big deal. God says, David... I took you. I, I selected you. I defeated your enemies. Everything that you think you've done, I did that. I did that for you. I did that through you. But, but you're not the big deal, David. I, I am the big deal. God is the subject of this thing. God says, while I'm at it, let me show you what I'll do for you, David. And I'll even build you a house. Now, in that promise, when God says, I'll build you a house, he's not talking about a house of cedar because God knows, and surely you know by now, that a house that could be listed on the real estate market is not the kind of house that matters. When God says, I'm going to build you a house, God's changing the language here. God is going to talk about something different here. He's talking about a, a, a dynasty. He's talking about doing something, not just in David's life, but in the life of his whole family. God telling a bigger story. It's bigger than David. It includes his whole family, but honestly, it's bigger even than David's family. God is inviting David and all of David's children and all of David's grandchildren and great-grandchildren and all the way down the line. God is inviting them to play parts in his great story, the great story of, of salvation. Do you understand? It's the biggest story ever. It's God's story of coming down to earth. It's God's story of taking on flesh and being born in a manger in Bethlehem. It's God's story of Jesus coming down and dying for our sins. It's God's story of Jesus dying for our sins and then bringing us back to God. It's that beautiful story of taking broken people, broken lives, and restoring and repairing those lives. It's God's great story of redemption. God says, David, I'll make of you a house. I will bring you into something so large, something so amazing. I'll do this for you. There's really not much you can do for me. 
Do you understand the grace of that? David doesn't deserve this. David knows he doesn't deserve it. What's one of the things he says in his prayer? Verse 20, God, you know what I'm like. You know what I'm like. Who am I that you would do this for me? It's grace. It's it's grace. David doesn't deserve this. He's a sinful man. He's a broken man. But God says, I'll do this for you. It's grace. Do you understand that, that God doesn't search the world and look for perfect people that he can work with? Because there aren't any. God searches the earth and and he finds broken people and he works through them. When God wants to work with a family, do you understand? He doesn't look for a perfect family because there aren't any. God will search the earth and he will find broken families. Because our brokenness is a tremendous backdrop for God's glory. Do you understand? Our weakness is a tremendous way for God's strength to be revealed. God isn't looking for perfect people. God's, God alone is perfect. So what's it mean? Notice how David responds. Then King David went in and sat. He sat before the Lord. It's just one of the few times in Scripture where, where that is said. Usually in God's presence, people fall on their face. Usually in God's presence, sometimes they lift their hands or bow their heads, but he just sits. What does this mean? I think it's a picture of a man who is lingering now in God's presence. He's, he's lingering there. He's going to spend some time. He, he sits He's taking a posture that he can maintain for a long time because David now is going to linger in God's presence and and pray. And notice what he prays. Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family? Who am I? And what is my family? Honestly, That's the right prayer for you this Christmas. This would be the right thing for you to do. Why don't you go and sit before the Lord? Find a chair. Find a place where you can stay and linger a while. Ask God that question, who am I? What is my family? Those are hard questions for some of you. It's hard enough to ask God who who I am because honestly, I I don't want God to tell me who I am. I would rather tell him who I am. I I, I like the me that that I imagine that I am. When God tells me who I am, he's going to tell the truth. He knows me. He knows what's in me. He knows how I think and what I do. But I need him to show me my true face. I need God to tell me who I am. But you understand, it, it, it's more than just me. It's this next question. What, what is my family? I know some of you really struggle with this question. 
Because your family doesn't match the ideal picture that, that you always thought your family would be. When you dreamed the dream of your family back when it was you and somebody sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, you never imagined miscarriage. You never dreamed about divorce. You never thought you'd see the day when you would put a child in the ground. When you think about what your family is, when you think about the story of your family, it's a story about a dad who's just always somehow angry or, or always somehow gone. Or it's a story of a mom who just works and works and does everything to try to please everybody. It, it's that kind of story. It's a story of being a daughter growing up in a family of sons and somehow you always feel I invisible. It, it's a story about a family that's just always moving, always on the run, going from ball game to ball game, going from meeting to meeting, always on the run, eating, eating through drive-through windows and just living. Uh, always somehow trying to tie it together with little bits of string. It, it feels like that kind of family to you. That's, that, that's your family story. You're the family with the special needs kid. Or, or, or you're the couple that got pregnant coming out of high school. Or, or you're the family with, with, with the alcoholic there. Or, or you're the family with the mother who's always, always on the internet. You, you're that family. And when you think about, well, what is my family? This is the story that, that comes to mind. This is the story that you have to tell. It's, it's not the story that you wanted to tell. It's not the story you want to have to tell now. And this is what I'm trying to say to you. The story that you think that your family's telling, this, this story of brokenness and this story of disappointment, that this story of separation and this story of conflict, this isn't the story that God is telling through your family. There's a bigger story. You're always trying to make your family conform to this perfect picture, and that's not what God's doing. God's not trying to make your family look like other families. God's not trying to make your family conform to the perfect picture in your head. God simply wants to bring your family into a bigger story. Not a better picture, a bigger story. And it's God's story, not yours. And that's the beautiful part. But it starts, it starts with Somebody in prayer. Do you see that? What God's going to do in David's life, in David's family, it starts with a man in prayer. Do you want to know why your family hasn't yet begun to tell the story that God somehow wants to tell through you people? It's because somebody's never spent this kind of time in prayer. David lingers in God's presence. He sits before the Lord and he prays. Now, some of you have this dream for your family. Some of you right now, let me talk to dads and moms. You have this idea that, that you want your children to grow up to be godly men and women. You have this picture of your children growing up and, and getting married and staying married till death. You have this picture of, of your kids getting, getting older and, and working and, and loving and being very, very wonderful people. Do you understand that everything comes down to what David does right here. He sits in God's presence and he prays. He prays for himself. He prays for his family. Do you do that? Do you even do that? Honestly, that picture in your mind is the one that you press on your children. You're just trying to make them conform to this picture in your mind of what they should be. 
That's why you worry more about getting them in a, good, in a good daycare or you worry more about getting your kid on the right competitive baseball team. You worry more about getting your kid into college than you worry about getting your kid into heaven. And there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your heart. If all you care about is somehow making your family conform to this picture from our society of what a family should be, there's something wrong with you. You've not spent this time. You've not spent this time before the Lord praying, saying, who am I? What is my family? Do you understand? If that's not in you, that heart for God, that faith in the Lord, that willingness to submit to his plan, if that's not in you, it will not be in your children. If that's not in you, it's not going to be in them. Don't you understand that? God does a wonderful, a beautiful thing in David's family, but it starts right here with a man in prayer. Have your kids ever woke up in the morning to find mom already out of bed and on her knees in prayer? Have your kids ever, ever thought of their father as a man of prayer? If it's not in you, it's not going to be in them. Oh, Brother Tim, you don't understand. I don't really like to pray in front of people. I, I, I get that. I understand that. It's awkward. It's awkward, and especially awkward sometimes in front of the people who know you. The people who heard what you said when the lawnmower rode off the trailer and scratched the car. The once the kids hear you say that, then the next thing you say is going to be, Heavenly Father, it's awkward to pray in front of your family. It's awkward to say, kids, we're going to pray right here. It's awkward to get your husband, to get your wife and say, let's pray. It's awkward, especially if you haven't been doing that. That's awkward. I know it's awkward. The devil wants it to be awkward, by the way. But don't you understand? In the life of your family, the, the awkward, unpolished, unpoetic prayer of a father at home is infinitely more powerful in the life of that family than any beautiful prayer that the minister prays in church. That awkward, stumbling prayer of a father at home, of a mother at home, is infinitely more powerful in the lives of those children than anything they'll ever hear at church. If it's not in you, it won't be in them. David sits before the Lord and he says, Oh, sovereign Lord, who am I that you would bring me this far? What is my family? You want to know what your family is? You want to know where your family is right now? I don't know your situation. I don't know your story. But I can tell you one thing. One thing for sure this Christmas. Your family is exactly in the right spot for God to begin telling his big story through them. It's not a story about perfect people. It's a story about broken people made whole. It's not a story about perfect children. It's a story about prodigal children who find the way home. You understand? It's not a story about happily ever after. 
It's about a story of a God who says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I know that in your head you have this picture of what your family's supposed to be. Maybe it's a picture you've had since elementary school. Maybe your dream for your family had nothing to do with the kind of life you're living now. You never, ever thought you'd see a child in jail. I'm just telling you, your family is in exactly the right place for God to tell his big story. That story is the gospel. It's a story of broken lies made whole. This is the story that God's inviting you into. Your whole family for sure, but most of all you. Your life is not a story about you. It's a story about God. Pray with me. God, there's nothing that we have ever done, nothing we could ever do to deserve an invitation into this great story. God, it's a story that begins and ends with you, your love, your your grace. There's nothing that we could do to earn a place in it. God, there's nothing we could do to make you love us anymore. You love us so much. And there's nothing we can do to make you love us any less. You love us so much. Lord, many of us in this place today don't even know where to start with our family. We don't even know how we're going to gather the strength to get around the table with them, Lord. We know what it will be like. We know how it feels. We know how it goes every single time. Lord Jesus, we know what that picture looks like. But help us, Lord, to stop looking for a perfect picture. Instead, Lord, help us to recognize there's a bigger story being told here. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take every broken family, every broken heart, every disappointed, disillusioned mama, every frustrated father, every single person still looking for the right one to come along, every one of us, Lord, in whatever shape our family is, I pray, Lord, that you will show us they're in the perfect place. We are in the perfect ideal place for you to begin today telling your story through us. Oh God, tell your story through us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.